really excited about him being here. Matt Peterson is from Morningstar Ministries. Um, if all of you are not familiar with, with that ministry, they really have a, pr a pretty tremendous um, equipping of the prophetic ministry. That's mainly what they do. Um, it's all, they also are a church. They have a ministry training school. They have um, where they, this is really an emphasis, is the prophetic ministry. And um, they have really blessed us over the years. We've, we've really known Rick Joyner since he came to town uh, to Charlotte years ago. I can't remember how long ago it was. They ended up, him and Julie moved right down the road from us and we just immediately just really liked them and really felt like there was really something significant. And that ministry in the last, I guess, 10 years or so has really just grown incredibly. It's, it's just amazing. Every denomination really comes there and gets, it's amazing. They get equipped in the prophetic ministry. So um, this is Matt, Matt Peterson is on staff there. He is over actually their school of ministry. And um, and we would like for you to welcome him this morning. He also he also is planning a new church in Winston Salem. They've already started their uh, Friday night meetings, and tells me that's going really well. So we're excited about that. He travels two hours to do that, so pray for him. But he also brought a couple of more people with him. I'm going to let Matt introduce them. So. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good to be here with you guys. I've uh, been up here several times, but never on a Sunday. We have had a lot of pastors' meetings here, and I've eaten someone's good cooking, whoever does that. Is that Bonnie? I've eaten Bonnie's cooking and enjoyed time up here in this building and wanted to come up here on a Sunday, and here we are. It's good to see all you guys. Um, thank you, Becky, for introduction. Appreciate it. Um, just real briefly, I'm, I'm also married. I've got... Um, beautiful wife named Debbie, and uh, we've got four boys. Um, we, the last one was just born two weeks ago, and uh, on the very day that we lost Dennis Rippey that Becky mentioned earlier, the, that we lost our, uh, a guy who actually worked with me in the school of ministry for several years, and the day he died, we didn't know it. My wife went into contractions right as he was passing. Contractions started on my wife. I took her to the hospital, and two hours after he died, we had uh, John David, and um, which is kind of amazing how the Lord is just so wonderful in his heart to give new life at the same time that you know that others are going to be with him. So anyway, so it's been a it's been a wild summer for us. But um, thank you, Lord. Lord is wonderful. He just he just something else. Why don't we just pray before I get kicked off here? And um, Lord, just want to thank you for for who you are, Lord. I want to thank you for this congregation for this fellowship lord for byron and becky lord all the staff here all the folks here lord thank you for this lighthouse in this area in this city of mooresville lord thank you for all the people that are here lord i want to thank you for the call on this congregation lord what they're doing in the community and around the world thank you for the the guys in zimbabwe right now lord thank you for ministry that's coming out of here and the light that's coming out lord i just i just bless this place and i just thank you for the relationships that we have with with these folks too and and, Lord, I'm asking today that um, in every single one of our hearts, Lord, we've come here for you. We've not come here to listen to a person, to hear about um, what some guy's doing. We're, we're here to, to meet with you. We're here to be touched by you. So, Lord, we just turn our affection upon you again. And, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to meet every person where they are and that you touch them and speak to them. 
Holy Spirit, be released to move and to speak and to reveal yourself in a new way. Lord, engage us with you in a new aspect today. Lord, we want to be engaged. We want to be captivated by you. Lord, we ask that, and I ask, Lord, that you would stir up hope again. If there's any hope that's been dashed, Lord, that you'd stir up hope again. Lord, that you would uh, reinvigorate and um, refresh vision in our hearts today. Lord, that we would leave here um, with just perspective of your love for us that we haven't had maybe for a while. I just want to thank you, Lord. I ask that you'd help me, Holy Spirit. Let these words be yours. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay. Um, you know, it is important that you have an eternal mindset. I don't know about you guys, but I struggle oftentimes with the things that go on around me, the pressures of life, the stresses, the, uh, the deadlines, all those things, the financial worries, all those things can kind of get us focused on what's going on in our lives on a, on a daily basis rather than having an eternal perspective. One thing I do to help me is I walk outside at night around, my time of the Lord is about, it starts around 10 at night and goes to about 1 in the morning. Somewhere in there is where I write and spend my time with the Lord while my kids and my wife are sleeping. And I like to walk and just look at the stars. And just looking at the stars for me, I live outside of Charlotte a ways, and I can see them. And um, like you can see them up here, I'm sure. But just looking at the stars, I go, my God, you're big. You are big. And it starts to begin to change my perspective of life and my small little world that seems real stressful suddenly seems, man, if God can make a star eight gazillion light years away, he can certainly handle what I'm going through today. And I know that the enemy wants our perspective to be real narrow and to be real focused on ourselves. And so that's what I want to talk a little bit about today is, um, is having an eternal mindset and, um, and looking forward to what God's yet to do that he hasn't done yet and he's going to use us. Do you know that it's incredibly, um, there really aren't adjectives that I can use to help describe this, but it is incredible that you and I are in these seats today and I'm standing up here. Do you realize that? I don't know if you guys think about this kind of stuff. This is the kind of things I think about. I'm a little bit strange, but I think about this type of stuff. I, it's, 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 the odds are incalculable. They're astronomic. You cannot come up with odds to figure out why you and I are here right now. Let me consider this for a second. Just to put kind of life in perspective real quickly before I uh, continue. How many of you have, uh, maybe you, I don't think may not be anybody in here old enough, but Maybe your parents or your grandparents that were in World War II. Probably about half of us in here had parents or grandparents in World War II. My grandfather was in World War II, uh, both of them actually. And um, I remember my grandpa telling me a story about he was on a ship in the Pacific and a Japanese plane flew over and dropped a bomb from way up high and it hit their ship and it went through two or three decks of the ship and it never exploded. Never exploded. Now, guys that are in war are usually 18, 19, 20 years old. They're young. He had never had a chance to have my mom yet. Okay? Had that bomb gone off, you wouldn't be listening to Matt Peterson speak today because I wouldn't be here. Now, that was one incident two generations ago that took a few seconds of time, and it's forgotten. But how many incidents like that do you think have occurred Similarly, throughout my ancestors, all the way back to Adam, how about you? How many near misses? How many bombs didn't explode? How many diseases passed by you 
when you were traveling through your ancestors and they missed you. It's incredible here. You know, just, um, just war alone has taken millions upon millions upon millions of people before they had a chance to procreate. World War II, World War I, the Civil War. It goes on and on. There have been hundreds of wars, yet somehow you passed through. You made it. I made it. Not just war. Consider just for a second. Just take a little time travel here. Consider not just war and the millions of people that have died in war that could have been your ancestors and they weren't. How about the folks who died of natural disasters? Famines. Plagues. How about the Black Plague? Everyone heard of the Black Plague in Europe. Was it 1300s? Wiped out 25 million people, or a third of the entire continent. One plague. How many of you have European descent? Probably 80% of us in here. Your ancestors, if they died, they'd already procreated somehow. Or yours somehow made it through to give birth to you. In India, in the 1700s, there was one famine that wiped out 10 million people. In China, in the 1800s, another famine. That's just a famine. Another 10 million. Wiped out. Gone. How many people would be alive today on the earth had all those wars not happened or all those famines? All kind of folks that never made it. Never got a chance to breathe air. It's pretty amazing. I think it's amazing anyway. Because we have no idea. I think this. I think that if the history books in heaven were to drop through the ceiling right now and we were able to open it up to your life and we could read the story of how you were born, it would read some incredible things. I think it would speak. It's first to start with Adam because we're all in Adam, right? It would tell of Adam to now, I believe, God assigning angelic agents to watch over you and your seed through the generations, through the gauntlet of trouble, through every generation and era, through tribal conflicts, through edicts of death, through abortions, through wars, through plagues, through famines, through floods. Somehow, your seed has been watched over for thousands of years to get to your parents. And your parents didn't die prematurely until they could give birth to you. The very fact that you cried on the day you were born was a cry that had been waiting to be heard for thousands of years before the foundation of the world, according to the Bible. God, and why did all that happen? No, actually, let me consider this too. I think the psalmist who wrote, though a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, it will not touch you. I believe that was a prophetic word of God's protection of your line before you were ever born, not just after you're born. On your side were falling thousands on one side and tens of thousands on the other. And somehow you made it, you squeaked through. Because you haven't just been alive today, you've been alive through your ancestors. Because if had they died, you wouldn't be here. So somehow they were keeping you alive. It's amazing to think about, but I think about that kind of stuff. And I, I, I just stand in awe of the Lord. So have you ever asked yourself, why was I born? Have you? Have you ever asked yourself, what, why was I born? Why am I alive? Why am I breathing today? If you haven't, you should. Why? Because of the incredible effort that's been made 
throughout history to get you here. There's a significant reason you're alive. There's a significant reason you've been born. Regardless of how you were raised or if your parents were good, bad, or ugly, there's been a huge effort made to get you here. And I think I know the reason. And it's real simple. It's an, an incredible love that God has. It says that before, even before we knew or could be good or even cry out to God, Christ died for us, according to Romans. Yet while we were sinners, he died for us. God loves us so much that he's lavished love on us through the generations by assigning angelic agents to watch over us to be born. Why are we here? Because of an, a love that's so deep you can't, even, you can't even describe it. Is God angry with you? No. Is God furious with you? Is he ready to squash you like a bug? No. He's been doing the exact opposite, protecting you from the bugs for thousands of years. A love that great deserves a response. We've been singing about it today. A love that great deserves a response. The greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all. And that's simply understanding what's been done to get us here and realizing that love, feeling it all over us like hot oil and responding back, I want to give you my life because I realize I'm here because you love me so much. And I think a second response is to love one another as much as we love ourselves. To tell other people that they've made it through the gauntlet of trouble and it's not in vain. That they're loved too. I think that's it's basically the gospel. Because people are, everyone's looking for a reason to be alive. We've got the reason. Anyway, you all know that. But it's good to add that perspective to our lives. It's good to keep that perspective. That we're here for a reason. It's incredible that you're alive. I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't think we'll ever really know until we get to heaven. And God can show you what he's done to, keep, to get you here. What he's done to keep you alive. I can think of near misses in my life. I mean, times where I should have died. I've been close to bombs um, in other countries. I've gone through some crazy stuff. I almost died uh, a couple of times. Now, how about all my ancestors? But somehow God kept them alive so that you and I could be here. Anyway, that's just a perspective change. And now there are some other things we're supposed to do. And... Um, it's not just to love the Lord. It's not just to love one another. Although those are huge and the greatest. But there's some other things that we get to do with the Lord um, and with the Holy Spirit that's inside of us that's pretty incredible. I was at a, um, a retreat. We go to a Montreat once a year for MFM retreat. And I was up there this past year, and I was looking. We were in this building. If you've ever been to Montreat, the, the walls are thick, stone solid. This is a fortress, this place you stay in. And I'm just fascinated by these huge stones and how they got them there. And I was looking at some of the history of how they made this building. And it showed a black and white picture of the construction crew that made this building. I think it's in the early 1900s, 80, 90 years ago. And I was looking at these guys, these young guys, 18, 19 years old or so. And uh, they probably didn't know the Lord. They were just working. They had no clue that there would be Christian meetings held in their building. They had no clue of what would happen 50, 60 years after they're gone in this building that they built with their hands. They didn't know. All they were doing was building. Yet God could use it 
for a long time to come, and it's going to keep going way beyond them. And I started thinking a lot about that. I said, Lord, I want to build stuff that people are going to use way after I'm gone. I want my life to be dedicated to not just loving you and not just understanding your love, but, Lord, I want to take that love and begin to build something that others can enjoy and get closer to you for the rest of their lives. And way after them. I don't just want to, I don't want to just make a name for myself. So that that name vanishes when I breathe my last breath. But let there be something that keeps going. Keeps going and keeps going. I want to talk about one of the guys who's not in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 has got the, it's the hall of faith. It's the, the heroes. Uh, the, the big dogs are in there. And some little dogs, too. But it talks about some of the heroes of the faith. One of the folks that's not in there is a guy named Jonathan. Everybody knows about Jonathan. Jonathan was David's buddy. Um, He's had a bad reputation in one sense. As I've talked to folks who live a homosexual lifestyle, they try and grab a hold of Jonathan and David's relationship. Is that being a homosexual one? It was not. And uh, kind of paint him as a type of a, kind of a wimpy character. Anyway, he was not a wimpy character. You can read 1 Samuel 14 and find that out. He decides to take on about 20 Philistines with him and his armor bearer, climbing up a hill and whooping them. And um, the earth starts shaking. He, he was a warrior. He was an incredible guy. But Jonathan did some things that are, you guys know this story, but I'm going to, if you could turn to 1 Samuel 20. And I don't have time to read through this whole thing. But I do want to kind of give you a brief rundown of Jonathan in his life and this little experience that's noted here in the Bible for us to read in 1 Samuel chapter 20. But I'm going to ask you not to begin reading yet, so you stay with me. I'll give you a summation of it, and then we'll kick in here in a little bit. Um, You guys know the story, but remember when Saul was a little ticked off, jealous is a better term, about David. And he's pursuing him. And David doesn't understand, what have I done that's caused this guy to be ticked off, mad at me? So he talks to Jonathan, and Jonathan says, you know what? I'm going to go and find out if it's really true that my dad has evil in his heart for you. I'll go find out. And says, when I find out, what I'll do is you stay here in the field two or three days from now, If he is angry, what am I going to do? I'm going to shoot an arrow, and I'm going to shoot it beyond you. And if I say the arrow's beyond you, that means get out of here. Your life is in great danger. But if I just shoot it to the side, that's saying everything's okay. Come on in, and we're going to have have a meal. Anyway, so Jonathan does, they make this commitment, and he goes in and His dad starts asking about David. Where is he? He makes an excuse for where he is, and he starts cursing David. Um, Saul does. And Jonathan starts to defend him, and Saul says this. Let's go ahead and turn there. Look at about verse 31. 1 Samuel 20, verse 31. This is what Saul says to Jonathan. For as long as the son of Jesse lives... On the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. He's talking to his son. Therefore, now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. 
Remember him hurling it at David. He didn't just throw it at David. He threw it at his own boy who was heir to the throne. He threw a spear at Jonathan. So Jonathan knew, he was a bright guy, that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, did not eat food the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Now let's keep reading. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David. And a little lad was with him. Verse 36, and he said to his lad, run, find now the arrows which I'm about to shoot. So he's going to go warn David. And as the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him, or beyond him, it says. And the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot. Jonathan called after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? Jonathan, excuse me. And Jonathan called after the lad, Hurry, be quick, do not stay, which was a message to David. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master, but the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go bring them to the city. When the lad was gone, David rose from the south side, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times. And they kissed each other and wept together. But David mourned. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. Okay. I read that. Um, it was about six or eight months ago. And I'm, something started pinging inside of me. And I didn't understand what it meant. So I kept searching here, saying, Lord, what does this mean? And I kept getting this phrase. The arrow is beyond you. The arrow is beyond you. I didn't quite understand it until I read this verse. If you could flip over to Mark. Chapter 14, verse 35. Actually, let's start with verse 34. Mark 14, 34. This is Jesus, and Jesus said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. He asked the three guys with him. Verse 35 says, And he went a little beyond them. And fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Does that sound familiar? Flip back to First Samuel 20. Here is something that's incredible that I've never seen before. Jesus, right before he gets crucified, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, right before they're going to come get him, what is it, what's his last thing that he does? He goes, he says, he fell to the ground beyond them, and he prayed. You know what Jonathan means? The name Jonathan, some of you will know. It means Jehovah is giver. See, Jonathan, he had no clue. All he's doing is selflessly trying to help his buddy save his life. But here's what he does. He has no clue. He has his heart to help him, so he goes to David, and he goes to shoot this arrow. And he, he has three arrows, it says in his quiver, but he pulls one out. And he it does something that prophetically, I mean, this is incredible to me. Je, Jonathan means Jehovah's giver. So he represents the Father giving something. What does he give? He takes out an arrow, 
and he shoots it over the head beyond, says David. And it lands in the soil. And he says, is not the arrow beyond you? And that saves David's life. Jesus, it says in Psalm 127.4, Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children's of one's youth. If children speak of arrows, what might one arrow speak of? A child that would land beyond David. That would land beyond David as he did. Jesus was called what? The son of who? He was called the son of David. Jonathan prophetically, and you know what the string was made of on his bow? They used animal strings. What, before Jesus became the, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, what did they sacrifice? Animals. So Jonathan spoke of the Father having the sacrifices of animals, but having the arrow that would become the Lamb of God. As the string stopped, the Lamb of God continued. Shot over the head of the one whose throne his son would sit upon, it says, and it landed beyond him in the ground which was prophetically fulfilled in Mark chapter 14, 35, says Jesus went beyond them, fell to the ground, just almost word for word, 1 Samuel 20. Did Jonathan have a clue that any of that was going to happen? Not one. Not one single clue did he have that he was participating in the birth and the death of the Messiah. I mean, do you understand that? See, I was just talking about how you and I, it's amazing that we were born. Anybody that would have murdered one of your ancestors prior to them procreating to one of your other ancestors before you got here would have wiped you out. Had Saul killed David, I don't know how it all works, but Jesus is in the lineage of David. Jonathan wasn't just sparing the life of David, though he did. He was sparing the life of every person that would be born from David's loins. From that point on, he was saving. David hadn't had, he didn't have any kids yet, so it was all of his kids. Jonathan participated in the birth of the Messiah. Guy, he's not even listening to Hebrews 11. Yet he participated in the birth of the Messiah by preserving alive the Messiah's great, 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 14 generations grandfather, David. Is that incredible? I mean, that, that, that blows my mind to think about things like that. That's how, well, let me put it this way. You and I have no clue what God will do with a selfless act that we do in faith to preserve the life of someone else. To build into the life of someone else. We have no clue, not one, what God can do with something that's done out of selflessness where we lay our life down for someone else that we see as anointed. When we lay our life down for them, what God can do with that in the generations to come, we have no idea. See, the enemy wants us focused on what we can see and what we can, what we can see happen and the fruit of what our own eyes. But if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you find that it says this. Let me just read this passage. 
All of these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, it says that all of the the heroes in Hebrews 11 never saw the fulfillment of the things they were living and dying for. They never got a chance to see them. And I don't think you and I will either. I don't think we will fully get a chance to see the fulfillment of all the things God's promised you and I, but they will happen. The things that you and I do with our lives right now, while we're breathing, have consequences hundreds of years from now. I heard Bob Jones, well, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home. And I remember thinking the Lord was coming back before I turned 16. I mean, I thought for sure it was going to happen. And I was afraid of it. You know why? To be honest. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have sex. I wanted to have children. Before the Lord came back. I didn't want to miss those things. I'm just being honest. That's exactly the truth. I didn't want to miss that stuff. And I was afraid that the Lord would come back and I get to miss all that stuff. See, that's, that's how messed up my mind is. But the Lord didn't come back around then. He's yet to come back. I heard Bob Jones say recently, which helped me a bunch, because every generation since Jesus came to earth thought that he was coming back in their generation. Do you realize that? And we've had books written about it. We've had, I mean, all this stuff. Bob Jones said recently the Lord was showing him what God would do in the earth in decades. And he showed him what would happen in the decade from 2000 to 2010. From 2010 2020, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60. Showed him 60 years out from now what the Lord is going to do in the earth. And I had to reset my thinking. I mean, you've got to throw it out there 60 years or so, according to what the Lord's telling Bob. Now, nobody knows. But if he's not coming back for 60 years, how should we be living? We should be living to lay our lives down for the young people who are going to take it to the next generation and give everything we've got, just like Jonathan did, to the David who's around him. Who are the Davids around us? We've got a bunch of them. See, David was not after his own kingdom. His own daddy. Listen to this. Jonathan was in line to lead a nation. He was the next guy. It was his. But he recognized someone more anointed than he. And he did this selfless act 